Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. Hello, America, and happy Sunday. Yes, welcome to the Sunday Brunch edition of John Solomon Reports. I love this one. This is one where we go expand it. We go big. We take about five or six of our favorite interviews of the week from the TV show. We adapt them so that you can listen to them on this podcast. Today, we've got a great one. We're going to kick off with Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey. He has been, along with Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry, winning the effort to reverse government censorship, to keep government censors, government agencies from directly or indirectly censoring political speech in America, which has really been going on since the 2019-2020 election. Some historic rulings. Yeah, the Supreme Court, Justice Alito temporarily stopped it. But right now, I think this will go back to the agencies being banned when we're done. That's a very important conversation. And we'll have that on today's conversation to kick off Sunday Brunch Edition. After that, former U.S. Attorney Bud Cummins. He knows a lot about Joe Biden and also the Hunter Biden indictment. He's a man who tried to bring some of the Hunter Biden evidence to prosecutors in 2018, didn't get anywhere because time and again, agencies turned away major warnings about Hunter Biden. Then Secretary Frank LaRose from Ohio. He's the Secretary of State, a man who has led a lot of common sense election reforms that are now being modeled across the country, including a ban on non-citizens voting in American elections. He's going to join us. He's running for the U.S. Senate in a very closely watched Senate race. Sherrod Brown, the Democrat U.S. Senator from that state, is one of the or endangered incumbents in Congress next year. And Frank LaRose is running for the right to be the Republican nominee in that race. He's going to bring us up to speed. Cameron Hamilton, another candidate. He is a former military man now running for a congressional seat in another closely watched district, the Central Virginia District, where Democrat Spanberger, a former CIA agent, is running. She's another one of those endangered incumbents. And Cameron's going to give us an introduction to his approach. And finally, we're going to end up with a good conversation about education. Eloise Smith, who's doing a lot of great work about teachers unions, about bureaucrats and teachers unions to join us to take education opportunities and turn them into indoctrination opportunities or to disenfranchise parents from complete control of their children's education. Eloise Smith is going to bring us up to speed on that. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey, right after these messages. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. 
Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS. They know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Welcome back, everybody. Just a few days ago on Friday, the Fifth Court, uh, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled against the Biden administration upholding an injunction restricting how the government can communicate with social media companies. The panel of judges said that this administration's efforts to flag what they considered to be false or harmful content about COVID, the 2020 election, and other topics that violated the social media company's policies likely amount to a violation of the First Amendment. Who to thunk it? Joining us here now is the chief lawyer who has been successful in his ongoing efforts to fight the Biden administration as he seeks transparency and the restoration of our constitutional rights. He's the Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey, and he's here with us now, General Bailey. Congratulations on this again. I remember the last time we had you on, I think it was shortly after the 4th of July, which is when that original ruling came down. And a lot of us thought, wow, social media coordinating with the federal government, it sounds like a plot ripped straight from Ayn Rand or George Orwell. But lo and behold, here we are. I have a feeling the Biden administration is not going to stop, though. What's going to happen next? Yeah, this is a huge win for our First Amendment to the United States Constitution, and I'm sure the fight's not over yet, and that's okay. We're going to keep fighting to protect our right to free speech. You know, it's a relationship of coercion and collusion from the White House across a spectrum of federal bureaucratic agencies targeting conservative speech on big tech social media platforms and censoring that speech, censoring any viewpoint that dissents against Joe Biden. 
That's illegal. It's unconstitutional. The other thing that's going on here is all the speech that was censored was truthful speech. So it was information that Americans could have used to make good decisions that they were deprived of. I would also point out that it's entirely one side of the story. There Again, it, it, it is only conservative speech that's being targeted and censored. So it's viewpoint discrimination. So we're going to keep fighting. And this was a huge win. On the 4th of July, we laid the first brick in a wall of separation between tech and and state. We've got to keep building that wall in the run-up to next year's election to protect the security and integrity of our elections. Uh, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal reviewed all of the evidence that we put on at the trial court and reviewed that preliminary injunction and affirmed it. The Department of Justice has 10 days to appeal. We're confident they will. This court's eventually going to the United States Supreme Court. For, but for now, we can celebrate a huge win in defense of our constitutional right to free speech. Yeah, that it was. It yeah. was truly, truly an extraordinary win and very clear. There wasn't much ambiguity about what the appellate court thought about this. I want to ask a little bit, you've had more time than almost anyone to dive into the testimony, into the evidence, uh, the sort of examples that you've turned up of government people really not even real, uh, seeing anything wrong with the idea that, hey, I want to stop that American from saying that. I don't want that on, on, on social media. Extraordinary mind shift from just a generation ago where First Amendment was first for a reason. What sort of changes have you learned about the government mentality that led to this very overt censorship? Well, they've rejected the timeless principles codified in the Constitution that the whole purpose of the First Amendment is to invite dissent. The, the remedy for disfavored speech in this nation has always been counter speech, not government censorship. But remember, the big tech marketplace is different because of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act and the way the courts have misinterpreted it to allow this monopoly, this oligarchic monopoly to exist. It's easier for the government to censor because of the misinterpretation of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. So this marketplace operates differently. But I'll point out that the censorship was done at the direct demand of federal officials at the White House and the Department of Justice. They, the big tech specifically changed their terms of service, changed their algorithms because the White House and the FBI told them they had to or they would be punished. And so the court found both explicit threats made by federal officials against big tech if they didn't acquiesce to the demands and implicit threats. There was always a, a hidden or else. And so that's why we've got to keep fighting to build that wall of separation between tech and state in the run-up to next year's election cycle. Yeah. Sarah, I wanted to ask you about this letter. Uh, it is obviously not very often that we see Republicans and Democrats come together, but this letter signed by all 52 states and territories, attorneys generals, um, to Congress to, to you know, investigate AI and, and its ability to contribute to the issues of, of uh, child exploitation. Can you talk to us about this? Well, I want Missouri to be the safest state in the nation for children. I'm a foster parent who's adopted kiddos. You know, in a, in a previous role, I was an a, a assistant prosecuting attorney and an attorney for the county juvenile office. So I've made a, a career in my professional life protecting kids. And it's certainly a, a huge piece of my personal life as well. And, you know, I have really grave concerns about the lack of any kind of guardrails on artificial intelligence. And we, we've got to get a handle on that now before it balloons into a situation where we can't control it anymore. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, we can't can't let we can't allow those who would promote child pornography in violation of the law to get around the law by using AI to to change or alter the illegal and illicit images. Those children are still victims. And even images that AI would produce that replicate uh, characteristics of known individual children, those are those should still be illegal and are still harmful to children. Yeah. Mm. Another place that you're leading the fight, sir, of course, is against uh, children being subjected to transgender surgeries, often without their parents' knowledge. Now, you're fighting in court. Can you bring us up to speed on the victories you've scored there? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, back in January when I took office, a whistleblower from St. Louis came forward and and swore on an affidavit making very credible and specific allegations against a pediatric transgender clinic in St. Louis. And this is an individual who brings a lot of credibility to the table. She's a self-described progressive who believed in transgender rights, who promoted transgender rights and wanted to work in a pediatric clinic to help those kids. And what she saw, according to her, was nothing short of child abuse. And so we called for a moratorium on those procedures, the administration of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and uh, referrals for irreversible and dangerous surgeries uh, until such time as we could determine what was going on. The clinic refused under the auspices that they were the only clinic in Missouri providing those services. Subsequent investigation revealed that wasn't true. So we launched a multi-agency investigation into this. We uncovered a clandestine and shadowy network of transgender clinics harming, sterilizing children across the state of Missouri. We stood in the gap, promulgated an emergency rule to put a stop to it and provide information to parents that, look, there is zero FDA approved for puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, that European nations had curtailed these procedures under the acknowledgement that they were dangerous and irreversible and had long-term negative health consequences. There's no science or medicine to back it up. And eventually our General Assembly enacted a statute that the governor signed into law. Within weeks of that law taking effect, uh, the ACLU filed suit to put a stop to it. We defended the law in court and are the first state in the nation to successfully defeat a motion for preliminary injunction at the trial court level. Again, a great day uh, for the safety of children in the state of Missouri. We're not going to let quacks experiment on kids and sterilize children here in Missouri. And that that law goes a long way into achieving that objective to protect kids. Yeah, no doubt. Mm. Just seems like common sense. Um, Sir, I wanted to ask you, you know, on on one side of things, we see these indictments against President Trump, and it certainly seems like an abuse of the legal system. And for a lot of Americans, that, that has a depressing effect. On the other side of things, we see... State attorneys generals like you, Patrick Morrissey over in Virginia, um, I never thought that I would learn what the Chevron doctrine was, but with respect to this administration and their abuse of organizations like the EPA and and their new uh, regulations that could completely destroy our food supply via uh, the uh, food supply chain. And I look at what's happening with that, and it seems to me that opposite of what's happening with President Trump. This is the way that the system is supposed to work because folks like you are pushing back. Um, I hope that that doesn't stop. I know that you have a lot of fervor in your spirit and you are ready to fight back. But isn't this a a cause for, um, I guess, happiness? Yeah, I mean, uh, number one, the political persecution of uh, you know the former president by a weaponized Department of Justice is nothing short of shameful and deplorable. Clearly, there's a two-tiered system of justice. We see that in Missouri v. Biden, where the Department of Justice was weaponized to silence any dissenting voice and uh, conservative voice who spoke out in opposition to President Biden. That's a betrayal of our trust and our values and our uh, legacy and heritage of freedom codified in the United States Constitution. They're, they're targeting President Trump because they don't like him. They disagree with him. Again, this is shameful. We're one step away from a banana Republic because of the abuses at the federal level under the Biden administration and this alphabet soup of federal bureaucratic agencies. You know, at the end of the day, I don't remember ever voting for the undersecretary of the EPA, and yet somehow that individual has authority to enact rules that impact my daily life and agriculture here in Missouri, which is our our state's leading industry. And so it's important that state attorneys general fight back. You know, there is no sanction in the United States Constitution for unelected bureaucrats to have rulemaking, rule enforcing, and rule adjudicatory authority. The founders certainly understood that this separation 
separation of powers, uh, the diffusion of powers across multiple branches of government was essential to our democratic republic and to maximize our freedom and liberty. The Constitution exists to protect us from the government. The government exists to protect our rights. And I will continue to fight back against the rise of this federal administrative state to protect the rights of Missourians. Folks, don't go anywhere. Bud Cummins, former chief federal prosecutor in Arkansas, a man who knows a lot about the Hunter Biden case because he tried to bring evidence of potential wrongdoing to the attention of the feds a few years ago. He'll join us to talk about the indictment and so much more right after these messages. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, it's, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook a, a vegetable dinners, and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning, and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly, I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down, and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you 100% money back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick. House Nutrition, and of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. Hey, folks, it's John Solomon here. Today, I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out by not only advocating for senior issues, but also by pushing for conservative values that affect us all. By joining, you're not just supporting our senior citizens, you're part of a movement defending the freedoms that made this country great and to ensure that we secure our nation's future. Plus, membership brings you exclusive benefits like discounts on travel, dining, and entertainment, and of course, special insurance rates, one of the things I like. Regardless of your age, if you're driven to preserve freedom, AMAC welcomes you. This is about uniting youthful vigor with the wisdom of experience and our quest to keep this country great. Sign up now for amac.us slash justnews. And for a limited time, you get a free gift membership for someone else who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews. And extend the invitation to a friend or family member for free. What a great opportunity. He is Bud Cummins, and he joins us right now. Bud, it's a pleasure to have you back on with us. Uh, a pretty unprecedented day. I just want to get your, your top-line thoughts on it. Well, I, I, I guess my top-line thought is that in spite of all the drama and the you know intricacies of this and the history of it, the things we want to talk about, this is a sideshow. 
This is the, the criminal activity that doesn't involve Joe Biden. This is the least serious criminal activity that we could have proved against Hunter Biden had we not waited for statute of limitations to expire. And uh, it, it, I think it's in some ways it's a strategic attempt to say, OK, the Department of Justice did their duty that, you know, they ignored the politics. They held Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden accountable and uh, and we're done. Nothing to see here. And that's that's really clearly not the case. Yeah. And and I have to be honest, when these charges rolled out, it was kind of a yawn worthy moment because I think for U.S. Attorney David Weiss, I mean, he he was upgraded, elevated to special counsel status. Therefore, the pressure was on to produce something. But I think that there was pressure in the other direction, kind of a, a, a tug of war. And it seems to me that this is David Weiss, maybe just saving faith. They tried to do a real sweetheart deal uh, with with Hunter, it fell apart. I'm sure Hunter and his attorneys uh, greatly regret that they didn't finalize that that deal at the time. Uh, so it was incumbent on him to repackage it. Weiss, I mean, to repackage uh, the, the the these fairly de minimis charges and and bring them again now in a more serious way. It's an indictment. It's not a diversion. He does face jail time. I mean, theoretically, he'd go to jail for, you know, whatever, 20 years. Uh, I think the a year and a day is the upper limit of any time you'll see Hunter Biden get, get uh, serve on these gun charges. But it's really just a repackaging of what was left, the remnants of the investigation that could have taken place three or four years before that would have resulted in serious charges and clearly would have led all the way to Joe Biden. Sir, do you do you imagine a scenario where Hunter Biden is remanded to custody after he's booked, fingerprinted, mugshot? I mean, I'm sure that they would say this is the sitting president's son. You can't possibly do that to him, but they did it to a former president. Uh, no, I, I think Hunter Biden will come in under agreement, uh, surrender, uh, have a plea and arraignment. The whole thing will probably take 30 minutes and he'll he'll leave. And that's that's the appropriate process for a charge at this level. And, and let me be clear. Uh, there's only a couple of hundred cases a year that are prosecuted for misrepresenting facts on a on a gun application. Uh People do get misdemeanors for failure to pay tax at the level that was in those charges. You could make the argument that Hunter's being overly prosecuted if you only lived in those facts. But, uh, uh, you know, the truth is, like I said, this is an offering to try to demonstrate that they did something responsible at the Department of Justice, when in fact the Department of Justice lost its credibility long ago in regard to this and many other prosecutions. Yeah, I think they lost their credibility two, three, four indictments ago with respect to to President Trump. I wanted to ask you, though, about the the hypocritical nature of all this, because there is a lot of hypocrisy. I mean, you, you look at the Democrat Party, the modern version of Joe Biden is a big proponent. Uh, of gun control. You've seen what happened in, in New Mexico. It seems to be a party line for Democrats. And yet this gun crime related to his son, just tossing a gun in a dumpster. And this is the result of it. it, it it's unbelievably hypocritical. That's right. Here's a president that pandered to the public on several issues, one being gun control, continually panders to the public. And his family managed to illegally purchase a firearm that ended up in a dumpster. Uh, you know, 
maybe there maybe we do need more gun control at least as it pertains to the biden family but uh, <laughs> he, he, go google biden says wealthy should pay more taxes he you'll get um, 20 million hits on that. He is he right. in every state of the union address. I mean, how many times has he said the wealthy don't pay taxes? Well, his son had to go borrow two million dollars to pay his back taxes, borrow, borrow from a wealthy Hollywood uh, character who I doubt ever expects to see that two million dollars again. But he borrowed two million dollars to pay his back taxes. What? How much income do you have to have to owe $2 million in taxes? So the mm-hmm. wealthy that weren't paying their taxes were the Bidens. And I say the Bidens, not just Hunter Biden, because we know that Hunter Biden claimed to have been paying half his salary to cover his dad's expenses, to make repairs on his dad's house, to pay for his dad's internet and telephone. And, and we also know that a lot of that money went to other family members. Uh, Biden family members. So the wealthy that are not paying their taxes are the Bidens. Right. Yeah. Well, $2 million, if you're in the 20% tax bracket, that would be uh, revenue of $10 million. And oh, there's an FD 1023 that alleges that exact amount as far as bribery. I'm not saying that there's any connection. There's not. I'm just just uh, equivocating the numbers. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you, though, because that's not hard. Evidence. No. No, what it's they the say? illusion they, of access. It's not direct evidence, but I can tell you, there's uh, uh, dozens of inmates sitting in federal prisons all over the United States that have were sent there for a lot longer than Hunter Biden will ever serve in prison for a, on a lot less evidence. Absolutely. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask you about any other available charges. David Weiss has indicated that there there could be further indictments. I'm personally not holding my breath. I think the statute of limitation on, on any of the tax crimes is, what, six years. So anything prior to that is not available for any type of charging. But uh, money laundering, FARA violations, do you foresee any indictments on any of those items? Well, I, I don't have a, a keen read on what Hunter's foreign activities were, you know, in 2017 or 2018 and right. years that maybe they could reach back on FARA violations. Clearly, he ignored the FARA regulations uh, throughout this story. But I think uh, most of the things we know are are barred by the statute of limitations. I think a lot of the uh, really extreme tax fraud, uh, you know, writing off prostitutes, the cost of prostitute travel or whatever uh, has probably passed. So it remains to be seen if there's really anything serious left uh, within the, the statute of limitations. They may come back and, and indict him on misdemeanor or even felony tax charges related to the facts that were in the previous plea deal. But those facts, again, in a, in a vacuum, are not not what I would consider, uh, you know, very serious uh, tax offenses. And, and the misdemeanor uh, level of, of culpability was probably the right culpability just for those, unless you're willing to take into account the proven behavior that that we we can look back and, and know happened that he's going to skate on. All right, folks, Secretary of State of Ohio, Frank LaRose, up next. He is a man who led the charge to ban non-citizen voting in Ohio, a movement that's now moving into many other states. He'll talk about that, election integrity, and also why he's running for United States Senate. Now that he's been the Secretary of State there for four years, we'll have Secretary LaRose right after these messages. 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose is running for the U.S. Senate, and he joins us now. Mr. Secretary, great to have you back on the show. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks, Amanda. Yeah, listen, they've tried it in Ohio. Some of these liberal groups have, have called on me as the Secretary of State to try to take the voice away from Ohio voters and not let them choose who they want their party's nominee to be or who they want their next president to be. I can tell you that nonsense will not fly in Ohio. Let's talk about what the 14th Amendment is. This is a uh, this is goes back to the Reconstruction era. It was put in place to prevent those who participated in the Civil War from from in serving in, in public office. But what this really is is a fringe legal theory by a bunch of wild-eyed leftists that are just desperate to do anything they can do to try to defeat President Trump. It's not going to fly in Ohio, and we've made that clear. Well, and Mr. Secretary, I'm not a lawyer, nor do I play one on TV, but it's my understanding that in order for President Trump to be taken off the ballot, there has to be a trial with a, uh, a judge and a jury. He has to be convicted and it has to be upheld on appeal. So if, if that is the case, then basically they're just using up resources of our legal system and spending taxpayer money on something that's just a pipe dream. No question about it. Listen, I take my oath very seriously. I've made several of them, both as a soldier and as a public office holder. And so I took a look at what the words of the 14th Amendment say. It says engage in an insurrection, give aid and com uh, comfort to, to the enemies of the country. I can tell you what I think gives aid and comfort to the enemies of our country. This massive settlement that the Biden administration is doing with Iranian terrorists right now. But listen, the 14th Amendment does not prevent President Trump from appearing on the ballot. It's not going to work in Ohio. What it is, is a desperate fringe legal theory by the left that is trying to do anything they can to prevent President Trump from serving. I've endorsed him. I think he's going to be our next president. And a lot of other Americans feel that way as well. These leftists are doing anything they can to try to prevent it from happening. Yeah, sir. I want to turn a little bit to your own race in the Senate. Uh, you're running for your Senate. Uh, Sherrod Brown, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, say, well, that might be a safe seat. Uh, the Biden record is hung directly around his neck right now. The economy, Bidenomics, poverty, all the things that came out just this week about it. How big a um, role is Bidenomics and Biden's record uh, resonating in Ohio? And how much of a threat is it to his reelection chances? John, it's huge. Bidenomics is hurting Ohio families. And the people that Sherrod Brown claims he's helping, he's actually hurting. He he has Sherrod's charade, where for years he's portrayed himself as this hero of the working class. Ohioans know better. The policies that he supports in Washington are hurting working class families because guess what? Everything costs more, but wages are not rising to keep up with it. And so at the end of the month, you can quantify this. It's about $750 a month that Bidenomics is costing Ohio families. Sherrod Brown is complicit in that, and he's going to pay for it at the ballot box next November.
Yeah. Mr. Secretary, you have a large coalition of people supporting your Senate campaign, and you have been so vocal in fighting for Ohioans, and I know a lot of them want to see you sent to, uh, to Capitol Hill to be in the Senate. One of the main things that I think Ohioans are looking at, and we've talked about this in all 50 states, is parental rights, and that's something that you have been an absolute champion for. Talk to, talk to us about that with respect to your Senate well, we just rolled out a large list of endorsements today. We've got more coming next week. And um, it, it's right, Ohioans are, are rallying behind me because they know that I'm a father and I'm a fighter. I'm the only candidate in this race that has school-aged children. Lauren and I have an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 12-year-old, and we will not co-parent with the government or with anybody else. Our children are gonna be raised with our values. And by the way, Republicans and Democrats should agree with this. We want to restore parental rights i'll do in the senate help by the way to get things like the parents bill of rights passed help eliminate the u.s department of education help maybe bring about school choice nationwide like we've done here in ohio and make sure that bureaucrats are not making health care decisions or educational decisions for our children yeah and, it's, and boy polling shows how popular that position is it, it, it is a 70 80 percent issue there's no doubt Sir, I want to ask about something else. As Secretary of State, you've really created a model for, I think, other states now looking at what you're doing and say, I want that type of election integrity. Uh, one of the things uh, last year you succeeded in getting through uh, a constitutional amendment banning non-citizens from voting. Some liberal communities have tried to put that in. What was the motivation for that? I think you got a fun story to tell about how Ohio got into that whole debate in the first place. This tiny liberal enclave called Yellow Springs, Ohio, back in 2020, passed a village resolution saying that non-citizens could vote in Yellow Springs. The Greene County Board of Elections calls me up and says, Secretary of State, what do we do about this? I said, hey, hold, hold my beer. I called the village of Yellow Springs and reminded them that the U.S. Constitution is still in effect and that we were not going to allow them to have non-citizens voting. Now, here's the problem, though. If they had challenged me in court, they may have been successful because previously Ohio's Constitution wasn't clear about this. So we right. fixed that last year. We asked the voters a simple question. Should you be a U.S. citizen before you're allowed to register to vote? And by the way, Ohioans responded overwhelmingly. More than 70 percent voted yes. And so we've now enshrined that in our U.S. Constitution, that are, or in our Ohio Constitution, that you have to be a U.S. citizen to vote in our elections. And it's just common sense. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. And there are actually a number of common sense things that you have done as Secretary of State in Ohio to make voting there very, very clean. And as, as we look at the prospect of what's gonna happen next year for states who are struggling with what they can do, whether they have a majority in their state's legislature or not, what are some of those things that they can use to basically make Ohio a prototype and disseminate that across America? Amanda, we have a simple saying, we make it easy to vote and hard to cheat. It's simple to vote in Ohio, but we also do things like list maintenance. This doesn't get as much attention as it should. We maintain accurate voter rolls by removing dead people from the voter rolls on a monthly basis. It drives the left nuts for some reason, but we always remove dead people from the voter rolls on a monthly basis. We make sure that our voting machines are never connected to the internet, and there's always a paper trail, and we audit every election. We've had a 99.9% .9 accuracy rate during my administration. We also have bipartisan administration of elections, meaning Republicans and Democrats are part of every part of the process. We check IDs in Ohio and we don't apologize for that. It's a smart thing to require photo ID. And so Ohio's the gold standard. Other states should follow our example. Here's another thing. 
We outlaw ballot harvesting. If yeah. your state still allows ballot harvesting, work with your state legislature and outlaw that. And we don't mail absentee ballots to people unless they ask for one. Listen, if you want to vote absentee, we check your ID and then we send you a ballot. Fine. But we don't mail out absentee ballots to people that didn't request them. States that do that are making a big mistake, in my opinion. Yeah, there's no doubt. You're also uh, a customer service friendly state when it comes to voting. And I know you're working on some new proposed uh, Voter Registration Modernization Act, allowing voters the opportunity to update their party affiliation in real time. It's easier to do. Talk about that and uh, just another way it's customer friendly. Yeah, so in Ohio, the only way currently to establish party identification is by voting in a primary. So you may have been a Republican or a Democrat your whole life, but if you've never voted in a spring primary, you're not actually listed as a Republican or a Democrat. We're trying to fix that, allow people to declare their party affiliation, but we're also saying you can't vote in the other party's primary. Both parties, again, should have an interest in making sure that only members of that party are voting in in their party's primary. And so we're going to allow people to change their party identification, which is is fair to do, but they have to do it at least 30 days before the election. This is a bill that we're proposing in the state legislature. And then on election day, you don't get to just decide that day which party's primary you want to vote in. Yeah, very common sense. Sir, we've just absolutely. Yeah. And we've just got 30 seconds left. I just wanted to to get the temperature of Ohioans. There are a lot of schools of thought surrounding the notion of impeachment, even just an impeachment inquiry in the House now that it's been announced. I wanted to ask you what the sentiment on the ground is there in Ohio. How do they feel about it? I tell you what, there's some Ohioans that are leading the charge on this, and I think it's worth looking at. It seems clear to me that the president's son was under the influence, and I think that the president may have been under foreign influence as well. But we need to know the facts on that. And once we do know the facts on that, then Congress should act. All right, folks, you know what? There's an election around the corner. That's right. That's why when we come back, we're going to introduce you to Cameron Hamilton, a military vet who's now running for Congress in the closely watched 8th District of Virginia in Central Virginia. A lot of people keeping an eye on that very important race where the Democrat Spamberger is in danger, potentially in danger of being ousted. Cameron's going to describe why he decided to jump into politics with two feet. We'll have that right after these messages. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back, America. Now that Labor Day is behind us, the 2024 race is in full bloom. And one of the races we're watching close for control of Congress is in central Virginia. Our next guest, well, he's a husband, a father, a Navy SEAL combat veteran, and a former division director at Homeland Security. He's Cameron Hamilton, and he joins us right now. He's running in Virginia's 7th District against Ab- Congresswoman Abigail Spamberg. It's going to be a closely watched race. Sir, good to have you aboard. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, This is a big jump for you. Uh, Obviously, a a life of public service now uh, testing the waters in politics. What was the decision making like for you? What when did you know in your mind, you know what, I'm going to jump in this race and try to make a difference? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So essentially, I've been a public servant for about 18 years now. Yeah. I served in the military for 10 years at the State Department and then at DHS. After a while, when you see things that are going on in government, when you feel disenfranchised with how your elected officials are or are not advocating for your needs and your well-being, you can't be an apathetic bystander. So my days of sitting on the sidelines are over. I actually resigned my job and I decided to run for office also in concert with some very principled individuals that felt that I had the characteristics that we needed in government. So for me, it was a matter of service. The, the nature of wanting to continue my service towards the people here of Virginia 7th. And I can't think of any higher honor than being a representative. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. We always say on this show, if Congress had fewer lawyers and more veterans, we would be in a lot better shape. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, though, speaking of your, your Navy SEAL uh, experience, today obviously is the 22nd anniversary of 9-11, and we've been having conversations throughout the show today about uh, whether we are safer now, 22 years later, with your experience on the ground and what you saw and what you learned and what we now know, do you think that we are safer now? We are in some ways, but we're also not in others. I think our national infrastructure, our military, some of the mechanisms that we use to keep the American homeland safe have never been stronger, have never been more resilient. But it's hard to argue that we're safer as a nation when you see endemic serious problems here within the homeland. Um, so it's a bit of a dichotomy, so to speak. Um, on the one hand, the resources at our disposal and the tools and the weaponry and the, the training has never been better, but our country's falling apart. Our, our American people are feeling disenfranchised with why we spend all this money and resources saving other nations overseas and why we're not spending that same amount of time and effort doing it here in our own country. Yeah, that's so well mm -hmm. uh, I want to ask about something that you had a little purview in when you were at the Homeland Security Department, the borders to the north and south, record numbers of illegal immigrants coming across those borders record numbers of people on terrorist watch lists being apprehended. You wonder how many sneak through in the gotaways category. How big an issue is border security for you? When you look at it, um, how concerned are you? And also how concerned should the uh, constituents of the 7th District of Virginia be? Look, I think the notion of a border town is no longer, you know, really reality. Everywhere in the United States is a border town. We've been busing migrants all across the country, and I don't blame some of these localities along the southern border for wanting to dissipate and tamponade some of the problems that they face and push the feeling and sentiment elsewhere because they're overwhelmed. We've been on conference calls and on discussions with local businesses, local healthcare infrastructures. There are hospitals that have millions of dollars worth of medical bills that they've provided that they've not been reconstituted for, that they've not been reimbursed for. So this impacts virtually every sector. Up here in the 7th District of Virginia, you know, there's a huge portion of Prince William County and Stafford County. There is a substantial portion of individuals here that are impacted personally or, or indirectly by gang violence and by the sentiments of what we see overseas uh, that have come into this country across our southern border. And we've also had things happen in our northern border. So uh, personally, from talking with a lot of constituents, speaking with a, many, a variety of different people, both on the political left, the, the the middle, and on the political right, the sentiment's pretty clear across all perspectives that, that folks are finding it really difficult to justify how our nation is engaging in certain activities, and our nation seems to be falling apart. So um, I think this is a hot topic that's resonating, frankly, everywhere. 
And it's also easy for individuals to feel disenfranchised who live in Chicago or New York City, sure. knowing that we spend thousands of dollars per migrant on the southern border. The American people will feel cheated out of those benefits and those resources. Now, it's not a zero-sum game, but at some point, we have to ultimately hold our actions accountable to the taxpayer who pay for these resources. Yeah, great mm-hmm. point. Cameron, there have been some interesting political shifts in Virginia. Obviously, the most obvious result of that has been the election of, of Governor Glenn Youngkin. Um, but last time around, when when uh, Spamberger ran for re-election, she was up against the GOP nominee, I think, uh, Yesley Vega. And there were only 13,000, roughly 13,000 votes between the two of them. The pretty closable gap. Uh, how, mm-hmm. how do you close that gap? What's going to fill those 13,000 votes for you? Well, I think some of the unique things that we're seeing now that weren't the case when Yesley ran, and she ran a really compelling campaign. Yesley Vega is a really fantastic lady. Uh, I think the media really got a hold of uh, a terrible call that happened and just frankly slandered her in a way that wasn't appropriate. She's a very pragmatic, very wonderful gal. It was such an uphill battle for her to recover from that from. Um, I think the difference now, though, from what we've seen when she ran is that now people are paying more for gas more for the basic necessities of the grocery store. So it hits the American consumer in a whole new way that we never anticipated. We also didn't see some of the sentiments of what's going on overseas that frankly have just become falling apart. Um, The nation emerged out of this COVID response era and we were starting to come out into this new normal of what it means to be a nation with a pandemic or on the tail end of a pandemic. But now that Some of the policies of this administration have really taken full root. We've seen climbing of interest rates. We've seen economic instability. We have these numbers thrown around about how we have huge job growth creation. The American people don't feel for it. They're not buying it. So I think it's ultimately hitting people's pocketbooks in a way that is completely unique. Yeah, that is so interesting to see that the economy is clearly playing in every way. Just real quickly, Spanberger definitely uh, portrays herself coming out of the CIA as a moderate, but her voting record tells a little bit different story. Going to be a big issue in the fall. We've got about 40 seconds left. Yeah, it absolutely is. Look, you know, Abigail Spanberger, she's done a few really remarkable things, and that's actually placating to some of the needs of constituents with their their personal matters with VA claims and disability. And that's a wonderful thing. Unfortunately, some of the policies that she supports in D.C. ultimately are at their expense. Um, So, look, the, the voters of Virginia need something different. I think they're hungry for something different. They're hungry for sincerity and just what true service looks like. So that's what we're hoping to bring about. We've got an amazing reception. So I'd love your support. Please go to CameronHamilton.com, support us and join our team. All right, folks, one more good one to go. When we come back from the commercial break, Eloise Smith, one of the most learned researchers on the issue of the impact of teachers' unions, and administrative bureaucracies on American children's education. She's going to join us. A really big discussion. You're going to learn a lot from this one. Be sure not to miss it. We'll have that right after these messages. Welcome back once again. Uh, It was just last year when it was originally reported that only 14 states require the events of this very somber day to be taught in schools. This finding prompted New York Congressman Andrew uh, Garbarino to introduce a resolution in support of requiring 9-11 to be taught in schools across all 50 states. Now, meanwhile, teachers unions 
And progressive liberal educators would rather indoctrinate our youth and teach them things like gender ideology and other woke nonsense. It's getting out of hand. And our next guest joins our discussion on this topic now. Eloise Smith is a former educator who joined Freedom Foundation as their director of teacher engagement. And she joins us now. Eloise, thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me on. I want to start with, you know, something I mentioned at the top, all of this woke garbage that is being added to curriculums. And I, I, I do think that when it comes to kids' education and the limited time that they have there at school, I do think that it's somewhat a, a zero-sum game. So if you're adding in this, what is suffering? And according to the last national report card, a third of kindergartners are behind on reading, 36% of fourth graders uh, are not proficient in math at grade level. Uh, eighth grade history scores are the lowest since uh, they've been recording this, which I think was 1994. Is that what's suffering or are we just blowing things out of out of the picture? No, it's definitely suffering. You're exactly right. And it's because the teachers unions who have taken over our education system have decided that those things are no longer worth um, teaching to our children. Our children are not worthy of knowing how to read. Instead, they need to know um, what DEI is and uh, that their skin color inherently makes them racist. Yeah, it really is extraordinary. And you have such a unique uh, position because you get to engage teachers on a daily mm -hmm. Uh, perspective. I want to ask this question because it's a question I get a lot when I'm out in just everyday America. Um, why hasn't a new teachers union been stood up? Somebody that could you know, give a competition to the NEA or the ATF and others. What um, what are the some of the obstacles to having some competition among the teachers unions that might balance this out long term? Yeah, it's a great question and probably one that a lot of people are actually wondering. Um, unfortunately, because of the way that the NEA and AFT have structured themselves, they all have made it that they are the only bargaining uh, agreement nationally. Um, they've got an agreement with the United States government. And so um, there's federally no way to really fight that back. The Freedom Foundation, working with Scott Fitzgerald from Wisconsin, um, just submitted a bill to um, yeah. take part in the NEA charter, but unfortunately it looks like uh, the NEA and AFT are here to stay as the sole representatives. The best way for teachers to fight back themselves though is to just stop paying union dues and they can join an alternative group like Association of American Educators. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, AEA. Um, John and I often talk about on this show when, when narratives are able to punch through and people actually absorb uh, information, true data, accurate information and numbers that, that allow them to make decisions better. And here in California, I can't believe I can even say this, just last week, the sixth school district, I think this time it was Orange County, just made a rule that you have to notify parents if their child reports that they are a, a, a gender other they identify with a gender other than the one that they were born with even in california very very blue california we now have six school districts does that tell you that teachers or well i guess parents in this case that parents are getting the message yeah, and honestly, teachers are too. They're pretty frustrated with the, the way that things are set up. Um, in 2021, AFT did an internal poll of all of their members and asked them if they thought the classroom was too politicized. Nine out of 10 of them said it was. This is not what they want. They don't want to be transitioning students. Um, most teachers are not activist teachers. We did a poll with our own teachers at our um, Teacher Freedom Summit this summer and asked them if they thought the majority of the, their colleagues were just 
trying to be real teachers teaching traditional American values. And um, they said at least 75% of everybody that they teach with wants to teach that way. It's the radical minority that unfortunately has a really loud voice. Yeah, sometimes they get caught with a touch of hypocrisy. A real good example, I guess, in Chicago recently, the head of the teachers union there uh, was denouncing school choice, but oh, center sent to a Catholic school, which I found interesting. Uh, I think parents are beginning to see the gap between what teachers unions sometimes say and what their own leaders practice. Is that an important part of the learning process? Uh, unfortunately, it's seeming that way, uh, having to look at uh, the rules for thee and not for me yeah. um, is pretty glaringly obvious. I mean, we saw that during COVID with our politicians, too. Gavin Newsom closed down the state of California, but was able to go eat at the French Laundry and kept his own children in their private school while also keeping his winery open. So, you know. It's not unique to the teachers unions, unfortunately. <laughs> That's a good point. No, and it's not unique to politicians either. There are a few choice Democrats who uh, say that, you know, public schools are great. The education, the quality of education there is great. And yet they send their kids to, you know, $35,000 a year private schools. Um, with, with respect to this conversation about education and woke indoctrination in schools, I'm not sure if Democrats want it to be a political issue, but it certainly has become one. Do you expect that to be one of the big reasons that parents across America go to the, the polls next year and vote a certain way? Oh, absolutely. You can see that's exactly why Glenn Youngkin became governor of Virginia. Um, if I don't I don't think if the things that had happened in Lowney County, County had been exposed that the way they were um, and Glenn, Glenn Youngkin came out so strongly in opposition to what was happening there and standing up for parental rights, um, he might not have become governor. So parents are definitely starting to wake up and see um, the honestly, abuse that is happening to their children in these schools, ideological abuse and otherwise. Um, and so, yeah, they're going to vote with their feet. Yeah, <laughs> and we're starting to see that in some of the migration data. Uh, even the Census Bureau puts out, it's starting to become obvious what's going on. You mentioned yeah. Glenn Youngkin over the weekend, a pretty dramatic moment. He pardoned unconditionally a dad who had gone to a school board meeting to protest the fact that his daughter had been sexually assaulted, of course, gets arrested as part of the protest. Uh, what message did that send to other parents that were really disheartened by that whole episode? Well, and it wasn't just that he was arrested, right? He was labeled a domestic terrorist by the FBI. Great point. So I, I think a lot of parents were like, wait a second, why, why is the federal police force coming after us to defend our own children. Now it's um, okay. The message really was being sent that not only is it okay for your child to be sodomized at school, um, you can't fight back against it. Otherwise we'll call you the terrorist. Hmm. Really disturbing. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. So grateful you can join us. So grateful that we could have a great conversation today. A big thank you to Andrew Bailey, Bud Cummins, Frank LaRose, Cameron Hamilton, and Edelie Smith for a pretty robust conversation. I love these. These are some of our favorite interviews from the week off the television show. We're glad to adapt them in the Sunday Brunch edition. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports. Until then, God bless you and have a great night. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out. 
higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it, with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friend, who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group. Text Just News to 989898 98 98 right now. 